Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Today's episode is brought to you by The Road of Shadows, a mystery and suspense audio drama about a man who finds himself on the run in a small town in the mountains, pursued by mysterious creatures that only he can see. This is a highly immersive experience with an emphasis on mood and atmosphere. Feel yourself transported back to 1984 through music and sound that will take you to the streets of a small town deep in the mountains surrounded by mystery. You can learn more about The Road of Shadows at theroadofshadows.com. Find and listen to The Road of Shadows anywhere you listen to podcasts. Our thanks to The Road of Shadows for their support. Hello, Jeffrey here. Now, while we were recording for Season 5, we took a bit of time out to record some answers to some questions that you folks sent in. In this session, we had answers from Joshua K. Harris, Cat Hoyle, and Marsha Harmon. And we'll have some more answers to other questions you asked in a later episode. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for sticking with us while we prep Season 5 of Unwell. Hi, I'm Marsha, she, her, I play Dot. Hi, I am Joshua K. Harris, you can call me Josh. He, him. I played Rudy. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Hi, uh, I'm Kat Hoyle, they, them, I play Abby. Mel Fox asks... What stands out the most in terms of the journey and growth of your characters? Uh, I think in the end, what stands out to me the most about Rudy is that in the beginning, my concept of Rudy was, I think even in a video we put out very early on, I said something like, oh, Rudy is excited. Uh, And a lot of that like adventure and personality was there. And that's pretty much how I saw Rudy. But as time went by, we got to see um, a little more tenderness and vulnerability. Uh, and by the end, even some really dark, dark shades. And I was kind of on that ride along with the audience, didn't see it coming, but it made so much sense in the end. And I was you know, very happy to play it. The thing I'm sort of struggling with answering this question, because I feel like so much of Dot's journey for me gets filled in in season five. And so I don't want to, I don't want to say too much, but I think it has been a process of um, like coloring in the, like the, the broad outlines that we get early on. And like, if there, if there ever is a broad, like dot is a broad, right. Um, And, and she sort of starts off in this, in this one particular way. And then as the series go on, I think she, we see more sides and more depth and more new <laughs> nuance. I mean, I don't, that might be <laughs> nuance, maybe taking it a little far, um, but more more shades, I guess. And I think some of the more standout things that happened in my understanding of Dot 
some of those happened in season five or will, will happen in season five, will have happened in season five. With Abby, I, the, the biggest thing for me that, that I've really enjoyed watching or I guess um, uncovering throughout the, the series has been their vulnerability and kind of learning more about their like inner life a little bit because they're such a reserved character and not not like in the sense that they're kind of like stodgy but like they don't let people in very easily or really at all and the the like moments where we get to see them be a little bit more vulnerable and kind of see what what is going on inside their like mental space that maybe they don't want people to to witness um like getting little glimpses of that and how that kind of comes together to create them as like a more complex character is has been really really lovely to like go on a journey of discovering patty asks what has been your favorite episode or scene to record i have an answer for this go ahead um, well, I, the reason I asked um, if we were if this was coming out before or after season five was released is because my favorite episode to record actually was in season five, but y'all don't get to hear about that, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my second favorite episode to record was um, probably when Abby, Nora, and Rudy go up to uh, Sinclair Knob. It's just so lovely. It's really like great moment for the three of them to like be present with each other and you know it doesn't it doesn't help that it's like right before something very sad happens <laughs> but um but it was just it was just really delightful and it was also just you know really delightful to be in the room with folks making those making that episode happen can i actually tack something onto the end of that yeah um i actually love that episode too it wasn't going to be my answer but th- th- it kind of was making good on a promise I felt was made in the first season where you had a lot of Rudy and Abby together. And I had the sense of, Oh great. There's going to be this arc where uh, Rudy's going to win over Abby and Abby's going to appreciate Rudy and Rudy's going to have a better understanding of Abby. And then Rudy fucked off to the Delphic order. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it became a uh, team best friends with Chester <laughs> instead. And Abby had, you know, their own journey. But then when we got that episode, it was finally the episode where we got as close as we could ever get with those characters to saying, you're my friend and I love you. Mm -hmm. And I had wanted that from the beginning. So it felt just especially nice. Yeah. Like it wasn't quite closure because the thing hadn't happened yet. <laughs> but, uh, oh, did something happen after but, that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All I remember is a, a sharp flash of light. No. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was a really, it was, it was just really sweet and lovely. And, and uh, I just really enjoyed that, that episode recording it. I would just yeah. say for me that my favorite episodes to record are the ones where we're all in the room together. Like it's, it's cool when it's, when we're not, you know, sometimes it happens that way or we've got some people and not everybody or we're doing kind of bits and pieces and we, we know each other well enough that that's, that that's fine. I mean, you still hear their voices in your head, but to like actually, actually be in the room is just, it's really, uh, it's really fun. 
Mm-hmm. Agreed. God damn it. What was the episode? I had two episodes from season three I was going to say something about. And oh, yes. I totally know what I was going to say. Okay. So, oh my gosh. Um, my favorite thing, I think probably favorite episode to record was uh, season three. And I don't remember the actual episode necessarily, but it's the episode where Rudy is actually brought down to the lower depths of the Delphic Order and learns all these things. And it's just one of those things that like uh, he fantasizes about secret societies and all of the trappings of it. And like, ah, uh, it's probably not like that. And he gets there and oh my God, it's all true. <laughs> and it's, he gets so excited. Like, yes, I would very much like to hear the music. And, oh, are you going to read to me from that big book? And it got to be a chance to just be Rudy commenting and, being gleeful as Chester and Hazel have the actual scene. Alejandra asks, as someone who draws fan art for Unwell, I want to ask, how do you feel seeing people's visual interpretations of the characters you write for or voice? I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. I love it so much. I love how they rarely look like me, which is great. I... I just I get I get such a kick out of it. I love it when they look different from each other. You know, if there are multiple iterations of Dot and they're all a little different, that makes me so excited. And what I've noticed from um, this was more true of Dr. Caligari back in the Our Fair City days. But like, I had a picture in my head of what I thought she looked like, and as I was playing her, I was trying to sound like I thought the person who looked like that would sound like. And that's a little bit true of Dot, a little bit. But all of the fan art pictures of any of the characters I've played in the Heartlife NFP cinematic podcast universe, um, I like none of the fan art has ever looked like those pictures in my head. And I just find that really delightful. Yeah, I want to say the same thing, really, is that's been the most striking thing. Obviously, it's just it's an incredibly cool honor to like have anybody want to draw things that you were a voice for. But also the really incredible thing about it to me was seeing the different interpretations of all our different characters. And I remember one or two of the Rudy's and there were a bunch that was so cool. Um, looked kind of like what I had imagined, but there were several that looked way, way different than I thought, including, well, I, I honestly, I think one was a, a black man with, an entirely different outfit that I would have worn. And I think what I see in all of that, and maybe I'm wrong about what's going on in people's heads, is that the great thing about the medium with a good show is people listening get to take it and make it whatever is most meaningful to them that you can picture Rudy and Abby and Dot and Lily in the way that it makes sense to you that, makes it meaningful to you and and it's really cool to to see that about people when you see that art yeah i I agree with that it's it's really great i love all the fan art um i don't know what abby looks like to be totally honest uh (laughs) so it's it's cool that somebody knows Um, (laughs) (laughs) no uh i um yeah it's like really exciting to see how people interpret the character visually based off of just the like audio cues. And that's, that's really cool and exciting. And and it's, it's always really fun. And I'm, I'm like also excited that the show inspires people to like make 
art based off of their own interpretation and and like the way that they see the show. Like that's that's really cool. And I, I love that from like a community perspective. Catherine D asks, what was your least favorite episode or scene you had to write and or perform? I do have an answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that everybody's like, yes, yes. <laughs> let's talk about all the things I hate. Uh, no, so uh, actually, so my favorite episode to record was uh, relatively early on in season three. My least favorite was the last episode Rudy appears in in season three. It's I, I want to say it's called The Sound of Her Voice, something like that. I think it's episode 10. Um, and it's the episode where Rudy goes to have dinner at Chester's house. And it turns out Lily like invites herself along and this is where basically Rudy's betrayal, if you want to call it that, uh, comes to a head. And the very last thing is you get this scene between Rudy and Lily very briefly where Rudy just says, I don't know if I can make you trust me. I don't know if I can ever have that happen again because she's so infuriated <laughs> and and it really felt like Rudy had lost all of his friends. And it, it was the last thing I recorded in the season. And the thought of Clarissa or anyone else feeling that way about me um, <laughs> is devastating. Um, the same for the character. I mean, you're attached to your character. And the thought of Lily or Abby or Dot or anybody. I mean, Dot later reads Rudy the Riot Act. Um and that's hard as well. So th those would be the things I wouldn't mention in terms of least favorite, just being your character going through those tough moments. Kind of the, in not an inverse of that, but like maybe a, a like parallel structure to that is um, I, I don't know if it's like a specific episode, but um, there are a lot of times where Abby is very mean <laughs> and uh, that's very hard because y'all are so great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so like maybe, maybe not like least favorite in the sense where I'm like, oh, this is a terrible episode or this doesn't make any sense or the writing's bad. Cause that's never the case, right? Like I, I like genuinely love every moment of the show, but there are some aspects of the show that were harder to do than others. So maybe like dislike in the sense of like, it made me uncomfortable in the way that like, you know, sometimes acting can do like playing a character who is like fully fleshed out and like has conflict can do. So like, especially moments where like Abby and Rudy were in conflict were really hard for me because it's like, like you just want them to be friends again. <laughs> um, also, I was stressing every time Jess made me sing in the show. Uh, <laughs> uh, not because I don't like to sing, uh, but because I get really anxious about it. Um, but I got over it and it was great and it happened and the show's recorded and done now. So we can't write any more Abby singing into the show at the end. Uh, <laughs> and it's true that Kat is dropping a new album uh, yeah. in concert with the, the when season five drops. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be a techno jazz uh, country album. Y'all, I'm so glad we didn't do a musical episode of this show. <laughs> 
two AO3 fanfic writers ask, what happens in the Mount Absalom Book Club? Okay. So the Mount Absalom Book Club. It's been going on for years. Um, honestly, I think I think listeners will get a little, uh, I can't really call it a preview, but like a, a window into the Mount Absalom Book Club, sort of, uh, in the end of season five. I won't say more than that. Uh, but I will say, I think, uh, I don't think Dot ever read the book, but I think maybe 10 years ago, she made a good faith effort to do that. But mostly it's the Mount Absalom wine club where Russell and Maureen talk about the book and Dot talks about what she read in the Cliff Notes, if she bothered to read the Cliff Notes. Partly because I think, you know, Dot has other things to do. And then maybe in the last few years, um, it can be harder to like, Remember plot points and character names, and uh, so maybe she just kind of stopped reading. But um, mostly I think the Mount Upsalom book club is about wine. I cannot be the first person to have this thought. Mount Absalom book club has to be the next unwell piece of merch, right? <gasps> mm. well, that's good. Something with that. Uh, I don't know what goes on at the book club, but I do know that Abby has strong opinions on the books that they pick for it. <laughs> Probably all negative. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you really reading Dan Brown? <laughs> oh, they man. probably did read The Da Vinci Code, but I don't think they read any. Like, I think they're like a, a one one book per author. You know, sometimes like a, a big like I'm sure they also read Eat, Pray, Love or <sighs> said they did. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love this, that the Pen Absalom book club is the most basic book club. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think who would bring like a more refined or original. Like, I think that's perfect. There's not like a Marisol of no. novels in the in the in our world that we know of who's going to like find the perfect book I mean, to fit. Unfortunately, it's Hazel. Yeah, it would be Hazel. Oh, <laughs> no, I bet Hazel invited. likes some nasty. And she won't discuss fiction. it with you because. <laughs> The first book she ever read that she enjoyed was Lady Chatterley's Lover. Lady Chatterley's Lover is a weird book. I've never heard of that. Oh, it's it the classic like, dirty book. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like Victorian era erotica. It's, like, it's very explicit. Yeah, and it's but it's like a like full on like huntsman gardener mm-hmm, and yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a Wait. new movie adaptation coming out. Didn't it? Krista did a, an ad for um, Dipsy. Dipsy yes. as Hazel. Okay, wait, never mind. I'm totally right. Yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> you're totally mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the special collection before. Yummy Kaku asks, What's your favorite thing about playing Rudy? Honestly, I think my favorite thing about Rudy was, you know, initially, um, or even in general, I felt like Rudy and I had a great connection over just the enthusiasm and passion in general, um, the depth of that passion. The thing I'm envious about with Rudy, though, is Rudy also has an incredible depth of knowledge and uh, motivation. Uh, Rudy lived such an adventurous life, making backdoor deals with a mayor to prevent the involvement of La Cosa Nostra and, you know, breaking into a bell tower to chart stars and who knows what else. There's so much about Rudy's life that literally no one knows, even in the world of the show, that I'm sure there are many journals that could be written uh, uh, of, of 
Rudy's adventures around the globe. But I, I really admire Rudy in that way. I, he, Rudy is in many ways what I wish I was in a certain way. I've got, I've got certain ingredients there, but Rudy is so much more. And I mean, honestly, it's the greatest, probably the greatest honor of my life as an artist to have played Rudy and Walton be involved in this show. Yeah. Anyone else want to say what their favorite part of playing Rudy? No. <laughs> I just going to say, one of my favorite things about Rudy is that he merited his own question. You know, that like he sparks that kind of joy in somebody who's like, just like, forget, forget what is everybody like about the characters they play. I want it about Rudy. Makes me well, happy. Yummy Kaku, I paid them off. No. <laughs> that's why there's a specific no, Rudy question. No, I don't think that's true. Thank you, Yummy Kaku. Shelby asks, have any of the actors improvised lines? If so, what is one of your favorite improvised lines and why? I don't, I honestly don't think you ever would have let us get away with improvised lines that actually made it into the show. <laughs> I think our writers are so good that usually if we don't say what's on the page, we want to go back and say what they wrote. Yeah. yeah, I can't, I can't think of any improvised lines that I've been witness to. I mean, there's definitely been improvisations between actual takes or that ruin a take. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> release the king cut. Yeah. <laughs> but that's more blooper material, I guess. Yeah. Didn't Pat improvise some like bureaucratic jargon to go on in the background of something? Oh, the like the rules and regulations ASMR. That was that was that was just in the gag, yeah. the gag reel. I thought that I, I for some reason I thought that was. He like, started doing that, and then I interrupted stuff. him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. pretty good. I'll tell this story into the mic, but I mean, you guys have heard about Miles's improvisation. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. And his flawless take. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I think I got it. Speaking of improvisation and, and Miles, I want every raw recording of Miles to be released. And isn't there, isn't there even a spe- uh, specific episode or scene that Miles recorded all of? Oh, yeah. He, he recorded he recorded. Every character. He just wanted to read all the lines. We need those alternate episodes. We need yes. it. We do. We do. We need the Miles cut. Uh, it, he, I hate that Miles is clearly the best actor and most charismatic person in this cast. <laughs> and he's shorter than me. <laughs> he's got everything. That's all that matters. He's got everything. Mad asks... One of my favorite things about Unwell is the use and subverting of common horror, spooky tropes, while also not falling into common cop-outs from the genre. I love the creativity and fresh ideas that you've made. When creating the story of Unwell, how do you work with and around the genre constraints, and what is your relationship like with media that came before Unwell? I don't want to speak for the writing team, but I don't think there's been any genre constraints. It's like it seems like I mean it definitely leans towards a supernatural horror genre and if you had to put it in a genre it would be ba- would be that but I don't necessarily think the show ever feels like or has felt like oh we're setting out to write a supernatural horror audio drama and so it has to like meet all these checkpoints and I think that's been something that's been very good for the story and why it feels so fresh and like me i mean i don't i'm not in those rooms when y'all have those conversations but that would be my suspicion and my like totally unknowledgeable two cents <laughs> but 
I feel like I, 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 I'm not particularly a horror person myself. I, I, I will watch some horror movies uh, with varying degrees of like fear or reluctance. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes no fear or reluctance. But like, I, f I feel like this world is so um, like thematically driven that all of the horror and the beauty and the quirks kind of all come from the same place. So my experience of recording it is like, there's there's one episode, and I, I think this was in season two, the episode where Dot and Lily go into what we figure out is Wes's house and all the pictures are facing backwards. Yeah. And that was the mm -hmm. moment I remember like in the read through getting goosebumps and being like, oh, that's so creepy. And that, oh, that, that was great. But I, I feel like it's been much more of like, um, like themes and ideas sounds way too cold. I feel like this is really a, a, a story with like warmth and humanity at the heart of it. And sometimes that manifests itself in these supernatural ways. And sometimes those supernatural ways are scary, but also sometimes they're amazing. Yeah, when I actually first heard the show, I think described and then later reading it, doing it, I I absolutely thought about Twin Peaks mm. in relation to show. And I know that's not one of the specific um, reference points in, in creating the show, but it is that and it's so not that at the same time. I, it's a show that seems like it wants to live in the place of horror just as much as it wants to live in the place of community and neither really overtakes the other. Um, and as Marsha mentioned, they kept, there's an interplay between the two, but the show it's drawing upon lots of influences, whether consciously or unconsciously, whether it's world building like parks and rec or the Simpsons, where you have all these various denizens of the town uh, and all of their quirks, same thing with Twin Peaks. And it's also borrowing on, let's say, the the, the horror uh, or the strangeness or the tension of something like Twin Peaks. or, um, But even the stuff as far as like In the Mouth of Madness mm -hmm. or Event Horizon, things that are just absolutely gobsmacking, terrifying. And I, and I think to underline what Marcia said, though, at the end of the day, it, it still ends up being a show with an emotional center. And that's why all of its present is to serve that. And so I think that's a way that it subverts a lot of those tropes. Yeah, I think I think one thing that helps a lot is I don't think the like monster, for lack of a better term in this sense, is is meant to be feared and hated and othered. You know, it's it's very much a a story about understanding and trying to understand the things that that upset us whereas like i feel like a lot of horror movies like oh you like establish that the thing is scary and we don't like it and like maybe we're trying to understand it but it's like with the intention of like destroying it or defeating it and the show never goes there like there there's like josh was saying and like marcia was saying like there there are those themes of like it's about community and it's about these people and it's about these relationships before it's about being afraid or unsettled. I think a great example actually of that playing out in action is the episode where Rudy dies. Mm. Um, because that's an episode that would have gone very differently in a lot of other shows where someone all season has been building up this great idea they have. They finally figured out how to defeat the big bad 
and we get them cornered, everything's right. And even if something goes wrong with the plan, still the just the emotion and violence of it works, and that's how you defeat the problem. And I think Unwell has been very clear from day one that that will never be the solution. It can't be the solution. So that's a big subversion right there. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. In the alley, the scent is stronger, overpowering. As I watch, the overhead lamps flicker and wink out one by one. God damn it. No. The girl appears briefly under the last streetlight, the headphones snug against her ears, the Walkman clasped to her hip. She's oblivious as she walks, lost in her own world. Hey, stop! I need to talk to you! Then she's swallowed up by the darkness again. Helen, wait a second! (laughs) It strikes her in the gloom so fast she barely has time to scream. She falls into the edge of the lamplight and lies there, bleeding, motionless. The man's skin is scaly, flaking, and there are patches of soot on his cheeks. He stares at me with eyes like midnight. Eyes that are devoid of remorse, devoid of humanity. He's one of them. I turn and run, and I don't look back. The Road of Shadows, a new mystery and suspense audio drama by Mark R. Healy, creator of The Strata. Listen now at theroadofshadows.com. Listener.